I mean, year to year, initially we were really low in the ratings and then it took the whole first season to climb up to the top of the ratings. And then, yeah, you started thinking, oh, I think we'll be back next year. But who can predict, you know, 50 plus years later? You know, you were a child star, obviously, right? So were there any particular lessons or challenges that you had or that you learned you know, growing up as a child star that you'd want to share? Um, oh, gosh, uh, probably a lot. And, and some that I didn't realize I was learning at the time that later I went, oh. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing fantastic, Neil. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And I have to ask you, were you a fan of the Waltons growing up? Did I you? sure was. Thursday yeah. nights with the family. Enjoyed oh. it very much. Oh, that's And you can tell me more stories about it. But our guest today, I'm really excited to welcome Judy Norton. She played Mary Ellen on the hit series, The Waltons. And she's going to talk about that and a lot of other ex amazing experiences. Uh, thanks again, Judy, for stopping by. How are you? Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's go start off. Did you always want to be an actor growing up? Was that, especially being a child actor yourself, did you, is really early you must have wanted to act? Initially, it was just something that was fun. Uh, I had done some dance classes. I'd done some little musical reviews. So it was, it was just fun. I loved being creative and this was an opportunity to do that. Then my uh, my father was instrumental in getting uh, getting me started with an agent, and it kind of rolled from there. So it was it was fun. I mean, what a great great gig as a kid to go and play make believe. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, fantastic. You know, looking back when you were on the show, you know, what were some of the proudest moments or fondest memories that you know come to mind when you think back? Oh gosh, uh, I'm just. Well, I think we're all so proud of the show and what we created, the um, the stories, the the quality of the writing and the directing and the acting. We had amazing actors and guest stars that came through the show. And we had writers and directors who had been in the industry through the golden age of Hollywood. We had crew members who... You know, we had a cinematographer who'd been nominated for an Oscar and we just had this great group of people and together under the guidance of Earl Hamner, who created the show, I just, we seem to have created a timeless, a timeless series that people still relate to. It's still relevant today. So I think it's that body of work really that the, the legacy that's been created. When you were acting at that time, thinking about the Waltons, did you know it was going to live on to, to today and how still popular it is? Did you think? Uh, that you, yeah. Who, whoever knows, you know, you can look at something and think this is great. It'll be perfect. And it's like crickets. Nobody watches. Nobody cares. In this, initially, they didn't expect it to go. CBS uh, sort of gave it a nod because they were getting a lot of pressure to do more family type programming. And this was a story I heard that they, that somebody said, yeah, well, we'll throw that on. People won't watch it. And it'll be like, see, no one's interested. Uh, and of course, I mean, year to year, initially we were really low in the ratings and then it took the whole first season 
to climb up to the top of the ratings. And then, yeah, you started thinking, oh, I think we'll be back next year. But who can predict, you know, 50 plus years later? You know, you were a child star, obviously, right? So were there any particular lessons or challenges that you had or that you learned, you know, growing up as a child star that you'd want to share? Um, Oh, gosh. Uh, probably a lot and and some that I didn't realize I was learning at the time that later I went, oh, wow, <laughs> I learned not to do that. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's there's a lot of technical skill involved in in acting, just the mechanics of it. And when you deal with film and television, there's the continuity aspect of matching um, there's a lot of things. I have a YouTube channel that talks about behind the scenes of the Waltons and I get asked a lot of questions. And one of the things I've been educating my audiences about whether, you know, to the degree they're interested is things like matching and continuity and what happens and saying, oh, look, see, there was this error there. So I have a very educated little audience now who are beginning to recognize those aspects of hitting your mark and finding your light and finding the camera and, and melding all of that. And, and at those endless dinner scenes, if you ate, then the next take, you have to eat again. And, you know, if you see the person, everybody has to do the same thing over and over. So those things were skills that you develop from whatever age you start interacting either on the stage or on, on film. Are you able to mentor child actors today that are involved or at least in the, in your career that have come to you and for advice? Uh, a little bit. Uh, I have done some teaching and some coaching at times. It's not something I'm doing currently. Um, and I, I just, I, it, I actually literally don't get asked about it. Um, sometimes when I've taught people like me, you know, one of the things you learn is you think you know it all when you're young. And then the older you get, the more you realize maybe you didn't know it all and maybe you still don't know it all. Uh, so that's what I found sometimes when I've been working in situations with younger actors is they think they know or they don't know what they don't know. So they don't know to ask. Yeah. The older I get, the more I realize I don't know. That's just the yeah. truth. Yeah. Um, but you can take all those past experiences and move them forward with you into your next birthday. And that's yeah. the important thing I've found. Um, well, you know, besides being an amazing actress, you know, I, I didn't realize it, but you're a musician as well. I mean, how did your passion for music start? You know, tell us about the albums you've had and do you have any projects you're working on now musically? Um, thank you for asking. Uh, I always loved singing, so I don't really play an instrument. I mean, I play at guitar, but I'm not very good. Uh, from the time I was little, I, I enjoyed singing. My mom sang professionally when I was young. And so there was always music around the house. The radio was on, the record player, the old record players. Uh, and she loved standards because she grew up in the 40s, 30s, 40s. Um, so the radio was always the sort of great American songbook and then musicals, Broadway musicals, things like that. So that was a lot of the music that I grew up listening to and, and grew to love. Uh, I did my first little recital. Um, me and my brother and sister were all part of a little children's uh, group that with the voice teacher my mom studied with. So I remember doing that and that was fun. And I wasn't any good, but I loved it. And I did a, 
a children's production of Cinderella as a child every weekend for about a year. My sister and I did that. And so it was just something I loved. Um, when I was about 16, I discovered that I couldn't carry a tune, that my pitch was terrible and I was crushed. So I, uh, someone I knew had a voice teacher. So I started studying voice and I really initially just did it for me because I wanted to not be terrible. And I thought, even if I just sing around the house, I won't be so embarrassed. And then after studying for a while, uh, I actually started to audition and got hired. So I thought, wow, someone will actually pay me to do this. So then I really buckled down and continued to just want to grow the skill. Um, and I did get to do, I have had a chance to do musicals and then was able to do some concert work. And, uh, and then, yeah, I have a couple of CDs that I recorded. One was a live sort of cabaret show that we turned into a live CD, uh, a live recording. And then just last year I did Christmas. I released a Christmas CD, which I'd always mm -hmm. wanted to do. So that was one of my sort of COVID projects when we couldn't all get together and do things. I thought, well, I've always wanted to do this and I can work on this at home. So that was um, just released last year. So let's talk about specifically life after the Waltons, after the, the tell us your acting career, some of your highlights from that career. Uh, well, after the series ended, uh, I started doing a lot more theater, um, you know, because the whole thing about, about typecasting is a reality. It's like, well, you know, you're too recognizable on TV. People will think, oh, there's Mary Ellen. But on the in theater, it was great because they it would people would come see me on stage. So I, I did that. And then I had an opportunity to start moving behind the scenes and worked for a theater company in Canada for eight years, writing and directing. So that was a great new training ground about that side of things, you know, being behind the scenes and a small production team and everything it took to put a show together. Uh, so that branched me out into then also exploring writing. I you know, wrote a fair bit for theater, then I wrote for a little bit for, for film and TV. And so it's just been an ongoing, exploration of new areas and I continue to act, but I also, if I get other opportunities, you know, I, I go down those roads. <laughs> wow. That's pretty crazy. So besides all of that cool stuff, being an actress and being a musician, did I also learn that you're a producer and a writer? Uh, yeah, I, I, I have done just a little bit of producing. I, I tend to not do that because I feel it's one of my weakest skill areas. Uh, I, there's just so much to know about it. Um, the writing, yes, I definitely, that came from having to write all these original shows for the theater. And then I worked with another producer down in Texas and he found out that I wrote. So he'd say, hey, can you write a show about blah, blah, blah. So we we'd do that. Uh, so I, I got a lot of things commissioned in in that way. Um, so it's it's nice to to do that variety because it, it then when I go in and I just do an acting role, I come in to guest in a show or a film. Mm -hmm. I feel like I bring more knowledge to that table that the writing, directing, and acting really inform each other. So I use what I know as an actor when I'm writing or directing and vice versa. Um, so that's that's been great to explore some of those other areas because 
acting can be so contingent on, I mean, obviously as a writer, it doesn't matter if I'm male or female in terms of what I'm writing. As an actor, obviously, if it's a male role, I'm not going to get cast. Uh, so those types of things, or it can be age contingent, all of but that. Wait, haven't you been reading the news? It doesn't seem to matter these days. <laughs> well, it's it can be true, but you know, sometimes it, it really does matter. Or I can't play a 15-year-old on screen anymore. Or so there's there's those things that that just make sense. And sometimes it is just colorblind and gender blind and and that's great too uh but when it's not there are there are visual limitations sometimes so writing and directing that doesn't so much matter and a lot more there's a you know an ongoing push to create more opportunity for women and for older people in general and in the film and television industry Older women is not not the strongest category to be in to be looking for work, uh, you know, which is unfortunate in our society today that as we get older, sometimes it can seem like even though we have all this extra experience, it isn't valued the way it should be. And that's that's the thing. And then it's auditioning and starting all over again and doing things again. What are your current projects you have right now? Tell us a little bit about um, well, the one of the main ones that I continue to work on was another one of my COVID projects where I started my YouTube channel. It's behind the scenes of the Waltons. And so I just create content that talks about the various different episodes and the cast members and answer fan questions. And so that's been that's been really kind of cool to interact with the longtime fans and sort of give back to them inside information. Uh, to the degree I can remember it <laughs> 50 years later. Uh, so that's been an ongoing thing. And then I, I shot a short film that uh, we just released online last year. And that's uh, Space Limbo. That's on um, on YouTube as well. So if people want to check out my little short film, that was a COVID project. Um, so those types of things. And there's always scripts I sort of am playing with developing and stuff. I have another project that we're just finishing an edit on that is sort of a speculative project, a pilot concept on a, on a show. So we're going to be pitching that as soon as we finish up the edit. So I'm kind of freelancing and um, enjoying the fact that I'm not working five sorts of things in my life. Absolutely. So let, let's, Greg always has a final question he likes to ask. So go ahead, Greg, with your question. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you and uh, getting to know you. Um, just for, for myself and for the audience uh, that's listening, um, what is it that you feel is the most important thing in life that you've ever learned? Oh, um, wow. It just, I think keep moving forward, keep growing, keep learning. Um, there's just, I think as long as you are engaged in life and have goals and things you want to do, that it keeps you young, it keeps you active and it, it keeps you engaged. So I think you just always have to be looking, looking ahead and creating your life that there's always going to be no's along the way, but just keep going. Just don't let those no's stop you if you know if you run into a brick wall 
go over it, around it, find, dig a ditch, you know, find another path forward, but, you know, continue your journey because there's no matter what age you're at, there's always new things that you can explore and enjoy. Excellent. That's such a great advice, Greg, because if we do that, we keep going, we keep persevering through things. And Judy, that's the best for actors or anybody that's trying to get a role. They got to keep plowing through, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's in, in, in that business, you have to live that way for so many ways. So for what would you like to say to your fans now? I mean, you know, the, especially ones that, you know, they've not gotten to hear an interview from you and it's out on YouTube or Facebook or on radio. What would you like to tell your fans? Especially now, I'm sure you still do signings. You still get those opportunities to interact with them. But some fans might not know what's going on. What would you like to tell them? I think the biggest thing would be just thank you. You know, that thank you for embracing the show you know, all those years ago, or if people are new to it, embracing it now, thank you for continuing to, you know, keep it relevant and keep it alive by watching it and, 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 you know, keeping, keeping that, you know, it, it's given us this, this legacy that is amazing to me and I'm so proud to have been a part of it. So I guess, thank you for that. That's great to always say thank you. We appreciate it, Judy. Best place people can find information on you is go where? Uh, I am on some social media. I, I I predominantly interact with people on my Facebook channel. Um, I, I Not my Facebook, my, my YouTube, that I do read all the comments on my YouTube channel and I try to respond to them. Facebook, I'm on there, but I don't have as much time to interact there. Uh, but I do have a fan page. Uh, on Facebook, uh, yeah, Twitter, I'm sort of eh, minor presence, Instagram, I have an account, but I never look at it. I'm just not, I, I didn't grow up in the social media uh, era. So I'm just not real social media savvy. So <laughs> well, you have that brand, which is the, yeah. the Waltons and the fan base, I could imagine if you said you were going to do fan mail, how long that would take. And that's just fantastic. Yeah. You have it's, that and you'll have that to live on forever. So we appreciate it. Yeah. Judy. And I, I do have a website, judynorton.com, and there are photos and my CDs and are available there. I, again, don't update it as often as I should, but, uh, you know, there's only so many hours in a day to sit on a computer and I try to get away from my computer and, and uh, go out and engage in life. All right. Thanks, Judy. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. You. All right. That was Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Guys, take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited first to welcome my special celebrity co-host, Dr. Charles Simkovich of Simkovich Concussion Institute. Dr. Charles, thanks for stopping by, and I know you're so excited about our guest today, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's great to have him. Oh, it's so great to have him. And, you know, when you think about specifically enough, someone that, I mean, I consider one of the best stealers right now on the current roster and probably he's going to be a Steeler Hall of Famer the what he's been able to do. So we have all pro star of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Cam Hayward. If again, three-time first team, all pro second team, all pro six-time pro bowler and first team, all big 10 cam. Thanks for stopping by. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? I'm doing fantastic. We're going to talk about the end about the honor you had with lending hearts, but let's just break down specifically enough. Did you always want to be an NFL player? Was that something growing up you wanted to do? 
Uh, you know, I think growing up, you have so many different dreams, uh, whether it was the be a NFL player, or to be an NBA player, I stopped growing. So that went out the window pretty quick. Um, you know, I've always wanted to be in my community, helping back, uh, whether it was uh, being a coach or a teacher. And so um, just because I had great role models, I, th I thought maybe I want to go down that path someday. But um, you know, it was always in the back of my head thinking I, I could maybe do this, um, step into the family business a little bit. But, uh, you know, it takes a lot of hard work and uh, I'm blessed to be here today. So let's talk about your late father, Craig Ironhead Hayward, one of my favorite players of all time in pit football. And I had season tickets for pit football growing up as a kid. And, you know, and one player, once he first put that uniform on, and played for the University of Pittsburgh. He just couldn't be forgotten. Reminded me so much of Earl Campbell. Mm -hmm. How much did he influence you and in your to get to get to where you are today? And so, um, you know, so much comes between my mom and my dad. Uh, you know, uh, I I can attest that. You know, I wasn't always listening to my dad growing up. Uh, you know, I, I I used to think, how does my dad, a running back, know anything about defensive line play? Boy, was I wrong. Um, and, you know, he now looking back on it, he was a lot more skilled and a lot more thoughtful for what he said. Um, but, you know, as a young young kid, you got to be stubborn sometimes. And so uh, I had to learn the hard way. But, uh, you know, just to see the way he uh, affected the community, um, everybody has a story along with him. Um, that's something that I want to live out in the way I live. And how much were you happy to be drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, especially when, again, Craig Ironhead Hayward played for Pitt? I mean, that had yeah. to be amazing. You know, yeah. I looked at it as not just he played for Pitt. I, I was born here. And so to get the opportunity to come back here, um, you know, I, I would always come back in the summers uh, to visit my grandparents. We moved around a lot because of my dad. Uh, and then going to Ohio State – um, you know, we would, me and my wife, my, she was my girlfriend at the time, but we would come back for Thanksgivings and, um, any chance we got to go see my grandparents, and my cousins. So, uh, when I got the call and it said 412 across, I was ecstatic. Um, you know, never in my wildest thoughts, I would end up thinking I would be a Pittsburgh Steeler. Um, I just didn't know if that was in the fold. Um, and luckily I was there at 31 and, uh, the rest is history. And understanding the tradition and everything. Um, let's talk a little bit about your father one more time. And specifically, mm -hmm. again, you were born in Pittsburgh. Uh, understanding specifically enough, learning, growing up as a son of an athlete. That's a challenge, right? And it's not the easiest thing in the world, right? You build the relationship that you have to look up to that person to become as great or even greater as an athlete. Because I've talked about father-son relationships and people I've interviewed on my show and it's it's difficult because you have to look in that area, but also the travel and all that. How did how did you deal with that? Yeah, you know, as a kid, uh, one thing I appreciate my dad never did. He never made it me versus him. Um, you know, it was never a competition in that approach. Um, I can say my dad was never my coach, but he was always there, um, and he was always there for advice, always in my corner. Um, I can count on my hand. Uh, like the times that my parents both weren't at any of my games. Oh. Um, and so having that and my dad being an athlete as well, you know, their schedules are just hectic, but I always felt like my dad was always there for um, everything that was big to me. 
Um, and, you know, I think as I got older in college, uh, I understood his legacy a lot better as I got older. Um, Coach Tressel gave me this quote, or not necessarily a quote, but gave me this uh, reference because Coach Tressel, um, his dad was big in Ohio. And he said, you know, my dad's got a street named after him. I want a highway named after him. And so I kind of took that to myself. I was like, you know, I didn't know I was going to end up in the Steelers. But being back in Pittsburgh, I kind of relayed that to myself where it was just like, my dad's created a legacy for him. How can I either expand on it or um, make it my own? And so that's that's been my own, my own journey. Um, and, you know, that's something my little brother is going to have to deal with a little bit too. But um, game on. You should appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate my dad being part of um, the culture in Pittsburgh and being um, everybody having a story along with it. So it allows us to grow this and his, his legacy to live on. All right. And we're going to get to now your help in the community because it really talks about family life. But I'm going to go to Dr. Charles Simkovich. Were you a fan of Craig Ironhead Hayward, uh, Dr. Oh, Charles? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was over the years, and um, it, it's funny because in-depth conversation, I've done a lot of work with uh, a family in Texas, Fred Akers, who actually coached Earl Campbell at University of Texas, and uh, uh, Fred Akers and, and his whole family are fairly active with me in concussion, and uh, we talked at length before, uh, at the comparison between Ironhead Hayward and Earl Campbell, how they were very uh, similar running backs. And, and I asked Fred, I said, you know, what's the biggest difference? He said, there's very, very little between the two of them. They were just bulls, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I was a big fan of both of those fellas. And uh, I mean, they made the game exciting and great. Totally. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about fam family life and how important family life. And that's why you give back. I think that this is the big thing. Cam, when I'm listening to you, your story about how your family was so involved and how they were so giving to you that you want to give back to the community so much. And it becomes a very, very important part of your life as a professional athlete to be a, to give. Right. Yeah. You know, I think uh, at an early age, I got to see, um, you know, how to give back. Uh, whether it was my dad going to Children's Hospital, whether it was my dad when he was in the hospital himself uh, dealing with the brain tumor, he was, you know, shining a light and, uh, you know, brightening somebody's day there. Um, you know, my dad took every moment to heart where he could either give back or, you know, inspire. Uh, and then my mom, on the other hand, um, she was always getting us involved in various community events uh, to be well-rounded. Um, and, you know, with that, that's kind of set the, the tempo for my children um, and allowed me to, you know, be the role model to them, but also show them how to do it so that they can do it one day as well. And that's so important. It's, it's building a tradition and then being drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers is again, I've talked and spoken to, uh, you know, uh, people in the Steeler organization, the high level to, again, some of the major super Steelers in my career of getting the interview. And they talk the first thing when they get drafted by the Steelers, how community becomes such an important part. So talk about the Roonies and how they really show how important it is to be a, be a great member of the Pittsburgh Steelers by volunteering in the community. 
Yeah, I think I was really benefited when I got in. Um, you know, the community relations person at the time was Michelle Rosenthal. Uh, and she kind of took me under her wing. Um, and she just introduced all these different events which players were involved in, whether it was Troy giving back to his hometown or Brett Kiesel being involved with Children's Hospital or um, Aaron Smith uh, doing the light of life and also uh, sh shedding a light on what was going on with his son who was dealing with leukemia. Um, I got to take part in all these events and it kind of just gave me an outlook of how I could do my own. Um, and then, you know, building on that, so I, I think I was pretty uh, fortunate. And then now we have another community relations person in Blair Holmes, who's kind of, um, she's not taking me under her wing because I, I feel like I'm older now, but uh, you know, she's helped me along the way. And uh, you know, when you have great people throughout the Steelers organization that constantly give back, man, it, it, it's truly special um, because it's, it's one thing to do it. It's another thing to know how to do it. And um, to hit it twofold like that is pretty special. It totally is. So talk about then wearing another hat, running an organization. Think about, you know, you were learning the whole thing, doing the volunteer work, volunteering for other buddies, someone else's foundation, doing these different things, but then doing it on your own. That's that's challenge, man. Well, well, you know, I, I'll be honest. I can't do it on my own. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but know, me, it, being the leader, being the leader, you know, of all being the leader, uh, you know, it, it's it, it's special. Um, the reason I say I can't do it on my own, my mother helps along me with my foundation. Um, and so for me, um, I understand I have a full time job and being a, a football player. But uh, when it calls for me to take action, I do. Um, and the one thing I always try to do at any of my events is connect with uh, the people we are serving. Um, it's one thing to just, you know, hand them something, but it's another thing to just hear their stories. Um, so many times these kids or um, these people are unheard and don't get a chance to uh, just have someone talk to them. Um, and you just don't know about those interactions and how far they can go to change someone's life. One thing Dr. Charles does is he sees community as an important part as well. The the foundation type of work you do, right, Dr. Charles? Yeah, yeah, we're busy. We we are getting very active with Lending Hearts, which is uh, Cam just got an award for, and we just uh, are getting uh, wired into a couple of military. I do a lot with military, um, and uh, you you know, community here at Pittsburgh it means a lot to Pittsburghers. I I was listening to Cam talk you know I, I was real close with the former Steeler Cedric Wilson and he had the he got he was a free agent came over from San Francisco and he said the difference between playing football in San Francisco and here is Pitt, Pittsburghers are, are a family and they take ownership and um and he said in San Francisco he could go out he's nobody knew who he was he said here a lot of people knew who he was he said they weren't shy about giving their comments about how he played either you know <laughs> good or bad yeah. and uh, and uh, he said, but boy, they just, uh, it was like one, one family and, and very down to earth community. He said it was a, it's a, it's a mid-sized city, but feels small. Uh, and, uh, and everybody acts like they know you. And Pittsburgh's very much that way. Cam, what are your thoughts for what Dr. Charles said about that? In Pittsburgh? He's spot on. Um, you know, when I look back and I, 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 it, it, there's never a dull moment in Pittsburgh and everybody's going to let you know 
how they how the Steelers are doing, what they think. Um, but man, we, we take being a part of Pittsburgh very special. Um, you know, they care about their community, they care about their city. Um, and so when you know I do these events, they're like, hey, let me know. I want to be a part of it. And so we get so many volunteers. Uh, just because they care so much about giving back. Totally. So tell us about your foundation, then we're going to talk about the Lending House Hearts Award. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I started the Cam Hayward Foundation um, in 2015, which we eventually called uh, the Hayward House. Um, you know, we, we call it the house because we feel like we can serve so many different things, um, whether it's um, Southeastern Brain Tumor Association in honor of my dad, we serve a lot. Um, we also serve underserved uh, kids in Pittsburgh and Atlanta as well through backpack drives. Uh, we have a birthday bash we have every year. Um, and, you know, we have a, um, food drives as well. Uh, and then uh, on top of that, we get to uh, put on something near and dear to my heart, uh, Craig's Closet um, in honor of my dad, where we collect suits for young men um, for job interviews, college interviews, prom, prom, proms and dances, uh, anything you can think of uh, to make a, a young man feel good about himself. Uh, we always like to use the Deion Sanders quote, uh, you look good, you play good. And, you know, you look good, you feel good. And we want to provide that for young men. Um, you know, there's dress for success for young women. Uh, we partner with them as well, but we feel like Craig's closet is taken off and it's now in over, uh, 10, 10 high schools in the Pittsburgh community. That's fantastic. And you're seeming like you're expanding and as it's grown, you said it was not for your mom. You couldn't keep be able to do this. It sounds like that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. My mom definitely keeps, uh, the wheels turning, um, you know, it's not only just me being a football player, it's me being a dad too. So, uh, you know, she's picking up the slack most of the time. Um, but you know, I try to make sure when I am involved, uh, I'm on top of it and I, and I'm giving back. Well, the Neil Haley show is going to definitely, even though I'm in Dallas now, Cam, I'm going to definitely have to reach out to your mom and want to see how I can help the Hayward house in any way possible, especially with the the whole Pittsburgh relationship and, you know, to get it out there, what you guys are doing is fantastic. And I don't know how you can do it as I've interviewed a lot of NFL athletes that have foundations and they talk about the challenges till they retire to be able to yeah. do it. They yeah. it's, it's too much work. You know, Aaron Donald, I've interviewed Aaron and also Aaron's sister does a tremendous job of what he's able to do in his foundation. And she talks about how much, if it wasn't for somebody else in it, it's, it's a lot of work. It is a business. And I think, can you explain that in so many ways? Because you got to raise money to be able to do all these great events and it has to be run like an, or, an organization or it's going to look poorly on you and look poorly yeah. on the community. You know, I, I, you know, my face is all over it, um, but it takes a village to do it. Um, you know, I, I equate it to my career. You know, I can't just take credit for everything that happens in my career. Um, there are people who have helped me achieve this and that's nothing short to what you do on a foundation on the business side. You need great people that are committed to giving back, um, that understand they're not always going to get the glory, but they'll get to see the glory and they'll get to see how many people it affects. Um, I can't say enough about the people that help in our organization and help, um, 
you know, make sure things are organized, make things, make sure things are smooth, uh, getting, um, coming up with great ideas. Cause I can't come up with, I can't say I'm, I, I'm a, uh, you know, a great thinker all the time, but some of these ideas I, I'm just uh, ecstatic about. And, um, you know, sometimes I just need direction and they provide that. And that allows me to, you know, run forward full speed and give everything I got. All right. So let's talk about the honor that Lending Hearts gave you. How did that make you feel? I saw the amazing pictures. I saw your eyes light up and how happy you were to get this honor because it's, it's again, an award for the work you've done with this foundation and how you've helped the community. You know, I, I feel very humbled by it, um, you know, sharing with people my story um, and being recognized for the work we're doing in the community is, is huge. Um, but then the other stories that go along and you get a guy like Bob Pompiani up there talking, talking and you understand what he's gone through and the warrior he is. Um, I like to think he's the busiest guy in Pittsburgh. He's, he is. Our, our, he's our sportscaster. And then he does everything else on top of that. But, uh, you know, then getting to hear uh, the family story that was honored that night was, was pretty special. Um, and so hearing those stories, you almost don't feel worthy of being recognized when you hear those stories and you hear about the mother's instincts and how she rushed to take her her son to uh, get him checked out. And, um, you know, I, I just very I feel very thankful to be recognized around around such a prestigious group. Absolutely. Being honored again for the reward of uh, the Lending Hearts Friend Award. And to have that opportunity and then moving forward. So what is the ultimate goal for the foundation? Where do you want to see it go? Yeah. You know, I think the main things is expand, um, continue to touch more hearts, um, whether it's we're doing uh, football camps in the summer or um, expanding to more high schools uh, with Craig's Closet. Um, the more people we can have an effect on and uh, change their outcome of where they were headed, um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to attacking that and making sure that we can uh, just keep improving. Dr. Charles, any questions for Cam before we we finish up? No, I can't think of any. <laughs> just like always to add things. Is there any summary? Because Dr. Charles, you've really summarized a lot of uh, what the work Cam does in this. And, and also, oh, you know, it, I've been fortunate over the years to be involved, obviously, with professional athletes uh, from every field. And, um, you know, seeing the work they do is just really uh, it's touching. And, and uh, uh, there's so many great athletes that are giving back to their uh, communities. And, and and as far as Cam and I've done a lot with Charlie Batch, um, you know, Cam Johnson's another one. Uh, and and uh and then speaking about lending hearts, the job that the, the director Vasso Palioris does is just oh. phenomenal. And she's just extremely humble and down to earth. And, and uh, to see her going to expand nationally, it, it, it's it's really a good feeling. Totally. Yeah, Cam. I would, just, gonna... I would just add one thing. I would just say I appreciate Vasso as well. She is, um, you know, I only got to meet her once uh at the event and so getting to interact with her and then explain her story and um you see how intelligent she is but also how driven she is and so uh to be around uh you know community like that that 
you know, is is headstrong and making an impact so big is is truly special. What are you seeing with your career, Cam? How many more years do you want to be playing? Any thoughts on that? I, I got some more in the tank. I, I don't think I'm retiring anytime soon. Okay, then maybe then you have to come into the ring and I challenge you to a pro wrestling match. <laughs> my background, I'm a former professional wrestler. I'm six foot ten legitimate. And that's why I call myself the media giant. So whenever <laughs> I'm in Pittsburgh, we're going to have to have a good photo op. And, and you're six five, six six. How tall are you? Yeah, I'm six five, but you're going to make me look tiny. <laughs> oh, by the way, I have a picture on my Facebook. You're going to have to see with seven, the tallest player in the NBA. Um, uh, Bobin, I was, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and he makes me look like a midget. Oh my gosh. Did you see that picture, <laughs> uh, Dr. Charles with Bobin. You didn't. Oh yeah. That. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you saw a picture of my wife and I with cam and yeah. it makes me look tiny and I'm not, <laughs> I mean, I'm 230 pounds. I'm not small, but I, I look like an infant. Yeah. So that's the, <laughs> that's the funny thing. And that's the cool thing about being in Dallas. You never know who you're going to run into go figure uh, in different places. So we appreciate it, Cam. Best place people can follow you is on Instagram, right? That's where you're Instagram, really active. Twitter, Facebook, you name it. But uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, if you want to get involved with uh, our foundation, go to the Cameron Hayward foundation.org, or you can just look us up on Google. That's, that's a simple way to do it. So uh, yeah. Thank you guys for so much for having me. I, I'm honored to have you. And you know what? I never get nervous with an interview. I've interviewed a lot of major celebrities, but because I'm such a huge Steeler fan, oh man, I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different story. And also talking about your father, it just brings back memories of my family going, my mom and dad, my dad's passed away himself too. And just to, to remember Ironhead and remember some of the exciting moments you've given us the Steelers. You have to have definitely get a Super Bowl ring. I think it's this year. Let's do it. Let's get the Super Bowl. That'll be awesome. Let's then get we'll it. A, we'll that, have to have another be... interview after that. Yes, exactly. You, you guys, yes. It was a very good draft. Okay. All right. Very good draft. Very good. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks again. All right, guys. Thank you're you. listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a Welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Doc Tales. I'm excited to welcome the host of Doc Tales, Royal Doc Alan Lindeman. Doc, what's going on, man? How are you? We're doing really well here, Neil. And you? Doing fantastic. And you want to introduce our guest today. I know you're excited about him because he create as a doctor's when doctors can create innovations that become their own businesses. That's the exciting thing of taking a skill set and becoming an entrepreneur. Well, I, I really, uh, yeah, put a lot of work into it, and it, it looks like it. It's it's effective. You know, uh, Alan. First of all, thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here. Uh, but yeah, definitely, you know, it takes some effort, and we've we're always adding. Like we started learning about this uh, this hand and grip area, and thought we figured it all out. Had lots uh, realized it was just getting started. So there's a lot to the area, and uh, love talking about it. Well, you know, we've seen so many of these flexor balls over the years. I've been uh, probably now about 40 years I've been seeing flexor balls, but 
Now, is this uh, adding the extensors? That's a really good idea. So, how did you? How did that get started? Yeah, you know, it's it's even. Um, it got started a little bit about my history, Alan. As I was, I'm a sports chiropractor by trade, and I was, you know, more than happy, more than comfortable. Players, first of all, a lot of hockey, a lot of professional golfers dealt with the Canadian Tour up here. That's now affiliated with the PGA Tour. Uh, so saw a lot of players there, but you know, about half family practice too. So a lot of different type of grip injuries. And I had seen the story so many times. I grew up the same way as you, Alan. So all we saw is repetitive gripping stuff. I even, you know, kind of bought into it myself for the longest time. And then I started to see all the chronic repetitive grip injuries. Uh, started to see fingers and thumbs that are shortening, carpal tunnel shutting down, a lot of wrist injuries in the professional golfers, uh, and a lot of elbow injuries in the hockey players and professional golfers. You started to ask them basically, what type of exercise do you do? And there was two answers inevitably. One of them was hand exercise. What are you talking about? We don't do anything. And the second, you know, just what we would normally do in the gym, grabbing weights, that's good enough. Uh, or the other, uh, the other answer would we, as we talked about, we grab a spring loaded or a coiled gripper. Yep. And uh, then I would ask the next question, like for, you know, from the practitioner side of side of view is what do you do about the muscles, the nine muscles that open and spread the hand? Yeah. And of course, that's when they would look at me like I'd change languages on them. And, and uh, that's when I realized how much the ignorance was, but that was when I was in practice. I took some time off to pursue my own dream to play professional golf. And, and inevitably, I got to see the inside of repetitive gripping within professional golf, uh, bigger tours and mini tours. And that's when I really saw it's, you know, private practice was one thing. Uh, touring regularly with professional golfers is a whole different thing. It's just one repetitive grip after another. And they wouldn't really see it towards grip. They would say, I've got an elbow problem, but what does that have to do with grip? Well, it has everything to do with grip. And, and uh, basically, Alan, that's where I saw we've got a real problem here. I can't give these guys and girls five or six exercises they don't have any way of doing that they won't stick with it i tried they wouldn't do it so then we developed this the product where you could use the uh grip a grip mechanism which is three-dimensional round ball i never had any problems with but then through that we put some resistant band it was just like uh, it was it was basically uh waistband elastic to start with and we started with prototypes and we just started to see these these problems go away and uh you know eventually we started to figure out how to make it um so that you could you know make it well uh, but same mechanics as the rough prototype and all of the things you had on your site and i'm thinking well you have to get the right balance of extensors and flexors otherwise you will uh, i mean if you got too much extensor you'd have you wouldn't have much of a flexor so now, how do you figure out uh, how much any individual needs? Do you have individual um, flexor, extensor yep. testing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when we started it, it was just, you know, we're, we're, we're basically you know, throwing, throwing ideas against the wall and seeing what will stick. So we're basically testing. Once we, you know, and I was not an expert at this by any stretch. Things done. We just worked at different formulas of the different materials. Um, and to be where we could test different resistances. And, and like you say, the finger extensor muscles are quite different in what resistance desired than the flexor muscles. They're, you know, they're, they're on a ratio quite a bit weaker. 
So we had to work with that and work with some averages and work with some people that were coming into going into like uh, recovery exercises for for rehab protocols, uh, going into kind of wellness, that wellness model, and then going into the more advanced strength training model. And we basically came to places that that seemed to test for the most average hands with within those models. Well, it looks like you must have uh, different you either have to design for, for an individual or you must have a range of, of options. Yeah, so uh, the one of the things we did that we, that we worked with it, because first of all, Ellen, when we started this, it was we did it for athlete, for athletes for sure, because that was kind of what I was looking for. I was looking for training athletes and getting to perform well off the battle. And so that worked really well. But then I started to have patients in my own practice that were arthritic or that were coming out of you know carpal tunnel surgery or having like, dislocation stuff like that so we started to bring a recovery ball in and then we got requests inevitably from the you know from the real knuckle draggers for something a little firmer but where we eventually landed is to do one of our main uh, products that we sell is a set of three so there'd be like a soft and a medium and a firm and then there'd be two different size soft cords for different hand sizes and different resistance and then two different medium size medium uh, resistance cords and then two different firm resistant cords. And the reason I tell you that, Alan, is that within that, you can deal with almost any situation. Um, mm -hmm. For example, some most of the athletes we deal with are super strong in flexion, but not very much in extension and abduction. So they might start with a firmer ball and maybe a lighter cord until they get really moving with the muscles that open and spread the hand. So that the three-pack is probably our most popular choice, and it allows flexibility within whoever's using it there's you know 18 different choices of resistances within that package now have you you've been kind of looking at the next level and tell us about that level that level again is to show how it can help people with neuropathy and things like that looking at more of the the average person not just the sports athlete now in your product yeah no absolutely this is where we've got to and it's a good question because we like, like i said i thought we had our goals and our our goals met pretty early on and i didn't have much of a thought that we had very much further to go until you realize that when you have like any body part guys like when you have anything going its full natural range of motion you're going to stimulate a lot of things and the first thing you're going to stimulate is whatever the peripheral neuropathy like the, the peripheral nerves to that area you're going to stimulate and then you're going to stimulate them maximally if you take them through full natural ranges of motion so that was the first thing that we saw that we kind of, you know, just by working with the athletes, we saw that instead of the old, you know, we were talking earlier about like a spring loaded item or a coiled item moving in three dimension, even inflection. So as we provide the proper resistance to the proper mechanics, we started stimulating peripheral nerve roots or excuse me, peripheral nerves to the hands. And as well, because you're taking the hand through its full natural range of motion, you're also starting to stimulate maximal blood flow and maximal uh, lymph drainage, uh, as well as uh, you know blood flow back to the back to the heart. So you're stimulating circulation. So there's a number of gains out of that, and that's when we started having people say, like, we still get it all the time. Is that we say, well, my elbow feels better, but I'm sleeping better, and I'm I'm this and that better, and I'm you know I'm not as stressed, or I'm feeling better. I don't get sick, and it's I, I didn't really know what was going on. I thought we took a stressor away from their life and that was what made it feel better. 
But then we started to look at the lymph system and, and stimulating peripheral nerves. And we realized that we're getting blood flow to the completely to the extreme. So we're going to stimulate blood flow and we're going to stimulate lymph drainage. And I think we're doing some systemic things that can aid in a lot of different types of recoveries and just a lot of type of wellness. I'm fascinated with this, your nerve, you know, your peripheral nerve stimulation and the uh, uh, blood flow and lymph uh, drainage. But I have a question about feet. Yes. So what do you do? Do you have something for feet? We are, I don't know if you've uh, talked to Neil already, but yeah, we, we're, we're in the process of developing something. And just with uh, fulfillment of the world, we, we actually have kind of put it on hold to some extent. We've st we're, the other thing is too, is we, when we did our first prototype, we didn't quite get the, um, the readings on, we do a lot of uh, surface, uh, surface EMG. We didn't quite get the tests we wanted to on with the Handmaster product. The tests are leaveable, and so we've set the bar pretty high. But with us, I'm I'm no genius, guys. Is it? We're just looking to see what the, what is the range of motion. What do these muscles in the hands do? And we're looking at what do the muscles in the feet do. And as we all know, the feet muscle muscles are so passive. You know, they, they are. We're not designed to be passive. We're designed to be grabbing sand and dirt and and grass and and walking and going to the next step. So we're missing out, in, in my opinion, on on because we've got you know we've got rubber shoes. Uh, same situation, Alan. We're very interested in 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 that. We have a, we have a, already built a mold, but it just wasn't good enough. And we're going to make some adjustments and and spend a little bit more and um, see if we can't get that out. But we're we're basically going to match Handmaster Plus with Footmaster Plus, and and uh, we were close, but it just it wasn't quite there. But same concepts, and I completely agree with you. It's it's a really key area when you get the muscles working, you get the blood flow flow proper. There's your shock absorption, and there's more um, like peripheral drainage as well. It's really important in in uh, lymphatic flow. So are yes. you thinking? So I was going to go with my question. So are you thinking? When do you think that you'll release this? Or are you have a prediction? You know, we thought we we were thought we were going to release it in in twenty three. That's what we thought we were doing. Um, we just we're just not. There there was a couple of issues that we had just with uh, even the manufacturing side of things. It, we we have a great team. We're we're so fortunate to have a great team. And and as you get you know as we get busy and we've got demand all over the world, we you have to know what you're doing. Uh, so, but we had a little, we just had a little bit of issues is do we want to do this right now with all the COVID when the COVID was still uh, a, a going concern, do we want to spend our time on our time and money and our efforts on that? Or do we want to really, you know, push what we're doing with Handmaster Plus and, and all the upper extremity stuff that we've got there? And we decide to go that way, but I don't really have a release time for it. We're, we, we're just redoing our drawings based on what we've learned. Um, so we'd love, I mean, I'd love to say 2024 and know that for sure, but I don't like to say things I don't know for sure. But uh, the world is big, you know, as you guys know, it's a big world out there. And we're so busy with the Handmaster Plus side of things that we've got to watch to be too quick. And I definitely don't want to put a product out that I don't believe in. Well, you know, there's an awful lot more, I think, at least what I see with diabetic patients, they have yep. more trouble with their feet than their hands. I mean, the feet, that starts first, and it usually stays longer, and it's harder to deal with. So I'm waiting for your 
for your feet. Well, even the even the encouragement, like we haven't, I haven't had anybody ask me this. All the podcasts that we do, nobody's ever asked me that question. And it to me, it's a bit of a more obvious question. So your guys, as the wheels are turning on you guys, um, and it's you know for me though, that's good because it is a reminder. And we changed our whole brand name as like our company's called Docsack Enterprises, and we changed to Moving Extremely Well because we are defining the extremities. We've identified them to be just left to the wayside and so important for people's health. And like you said, Alan, the diabetic community, which is enormous. I mean, it's enormous now is they're di they're they're they are in need of peripheral blood flow uh, feet. I agree with you, but hands hands as well. When you see the changes in the thermography that we do with that hands, but peripheral blood flow is it's just been left by the wayside and, and peripheral training like the muscles of the feet, I think, are also something that's kind of just, ah, who cares about those things? No, they're important. That's your shock absorption. Um, and to have that blood flow to the extremity plus the function of shock absorption is is directly correlated to what we're doing in the hands, and if not more, because you, you have the shock absorption angle. But with the hands, you have the grip functionality and the blood flow. So equally important, and we've definitely identified that the extremities are our thing. Uh, we got to do it, do it well, but it's overlooked and we preach about it. And, 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 you know, most of the healthcare professionals that are further along in this way of thinking, they get it in a flash. Yeah. It's a really, I'm waiting for that. I'll, uh, boy, I'll promise I'll put some, uh, we're going to put a little extra with our team onto that one again. I, and I love the project and it's, it, it wasn't far off by the way, Alan, like it just, if you're going to, the time where you do it and you put all your efforts into it, you launch something, I think many people don't understand that. Neil, you probably, you probably do with seeing all the, all the business folks that you see that are doing something similar. You're going to put a lot of effort into promoting and uh, helping people. And if you, if you've got something that you know, in your mind, isn't there, you, you don't gotta, do it. You don't do it. And this, the people make, get it the mistake, they make the mistake all the time and doing it. Without yeah, doing, it, there was a, a, a one of my clients was working with this week, and literally we had to tweak things. I said, "Well, I'm not getting the sales." Well, it's because of not the product; it's how it's being delivered. It's how it's being delivered, how it's being packaged, and how it's being explained. Because if people, if you don't believe in it, they're not going to buy it. That's the bottom line. And so many people have things out there. Hey, I wrote a book. Why aren't people buying it? Because they don't believe in it. And you really don't believe in it. You didn't take the time necessary to look at all those things. And that's it's what absolutely. I think is the key thing, guys, for sure. Uh, Doc, do you have any more questions for Dr. Terry? Oh, no. But like I said, I'm uh, I'm waiting for this, uh, for the feet thing. And the other, I do have one question. You know, COVID, everybody's talking about COVID. Um, I think we're going to see a little bit more uh, need for feet after COVID. I think that uh, that's one of the peripheral neuropathies we're going to be left with uh, in the wake of COVID. Well, I, I don't disagree with you. I think, I, I mean, I think through this whole COVID, for this whole stretch of the last three years, I think people are going to see that uh, wellness is a really big deal, like going back to basics. And like I say, you know, usually what people want to talk about is, you know, muscles and how the muscles shorten the carpal tunnel and collapse it and all this stuff. And, and, and I used to be, that was my main talk and my main talking point. But as Neil brought up, I'm a lot more interested in what it, what it takes to get 
you know, circulation, almost like the traffic system moving through your body. That's, that's wellness. And yes, an athlete and a musician and a per person in a workplace needs the muscles to be strong and balanced, but a human being needs, you need blood flow and lymph drainage on a daily basis. And you need digestive system on a, on a daily basis. So I think out of COVID, I think the details to wellness, a lot of people are going to wake up to that, that environmental challenges and what are our daily activities? you know what are our daily health habits going to look like and we can't just sit there and go oh geez i hope it works out no we, we got to look at the basis of health stay healthy get it done and we need simple solutions that people can actually get done in a day all right in their homes yes <laughs> best place <laughs> dr terry